Hi and welcome to Unspoken Womanhood, the woeful and the wonderful. As women, we want to discuss our perspective of the woeful and the wonderful journey of womanhood and also reflect on our experience as helping professionals in supporting our clients in all things related to womanhood. Our intention for this podcast is to explore our experiences of using the therapeutic approach of acceptance and commitment therapy in our own journeys of womanhood and how it can be used to help other women too. Hi Helen, how are you today? I'm good thanks, how are you doing? I'm good thank you, yeah. Um, So let's open up as we usually do. Um, What was your woeful and wonderful moments this week? Okay, so as usual I have a wee think about this and I always just like to go with the first thing that comes into my head. So the woeful, (laughs) I'm laughing, I don't know if it's that even big an issue but to me it is but my youngest daughter has got into fake tan okay and I just don't like it I just don't (laughs) like it at all and she's always been so she's 13 and she's always been someone who potters around in the evening but I kind of hid the fake tan because I didn't like it and that was fine but she's been given a big massive bottle by one of her friends at school so anyway, she's always pottered around at night time and it just seems that this pottering has turned into, so I'll go to my bed, fall asleep, wake up in the morning, child number two comes down the stairs and she is like fake tanned and I just don't <laughs> like it. And I'm trying to kind of find a way, I don't want to be critical, I, I don't know, I just can't find a way of, of not showing my disdain. So that's, I, I haven't got a, an answer to this just now. So <laughs> postcard answers are welcome. But, <laughs> and yeah. is it that you don't like the stain on the sheets or is it that you don't like that she feels the need to, to put fake tan on? Yeah, she doesn't need it. You know, it's the middle of winter. It's, she's wearing winter clothes. She's beautiful as 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 it is. I just... I, you know, I don't like the fact that she's a young girl and she thinks that she needs to look a certain way. Yeah. Um. But she says, and and she actually said to me, it makes me feel more confident. And I just thought, oh, I don't like that. That's yeah. making me feel. I need to pay attention to what's showing up, what that's all about. But I thought I'm going to bring it up as a woeful, and that might me make me pay more attention to it. So, so I'll park that for now, and it might come <laughs> up again if any of our listeners have got any comments or suggestions about how to deal with fake tan gate then please let me know yeah um, for sure but my wonderful also involved fake tan because um my other daughter was in a dance competition and uh, she was required to put fake tan on which I didn't like either but that was just part of the competition thing okay. but they won and seeing her dancing ah. After all the COVID, after, you know, she's not been at dancing and not seeing them dancing for, what, two and a half, two years? Wow. It was quite an amazing experience. And I was I was moved beyond belief. I think I embarrassed her because I was all tearful and oh. emotional. But it was nice. So that's my wonderful. Oh, what about nice. yours? Um, yeah, so again, I'm kind of laughing at um, my woeful. It was... It was a scene to to picture for sure. So I was 
very, very excited for Pancake Day. Um, I'm currently on quite a strict and restrictive um, diet, um, which I'll go into a little bit um, in the topic we're talking about today. I was very looking forward to my chocolate spread on my pancakes and strawberries, and I'd been thinking about it all day. And just as I try to make my pancakes, my daughter expresses to me that she's got pain in her tummy which is her signal at the moment that she needs to use the toilet so we are in very very early days of considering toilet training I'm not Mm -hmm. massively um, pushed to push her with it like I'm not desperate for for it to happen she's not two yet she's only two in April um so but she's expressing the need to go. So we're kind of going with that. And I was just about to serve my pancake up on my plate and she really needed to go to the toilet. So um, we got out the, I don't like potties. They freak me out for some reason, but we've got like a seat and stairs. So she like sits on the toilet um, on her little seat. And um, yeah, so she sat on there and And because it's all new, she cries the whole way through. So we've had every day since Saturday, um, at least an hour a day of her sat on the toilet crying. And we, again, I'm not pushing it. So I'm like, do you want to get off? Do you, have you finished? Like you can come off. And she's like, no, (laughs) still crying. And I'm like, you don't have to stay on. You can, (laughs) but she's, yeah, she wants to stay on. Um, Although she's crying distraught. So it's not nice to see her like that, but it's, I'm leaving it to her choice um and yeah so I ended up spending my pancake day evening sat on the floor of the downstairs toilet on the dog bed because that's where the dog sleeps and I was sat sat there eating my pancakes whilst my daughter was on the toilet and watching songs and baby shark on the phone to try and calm her down and I was like this is this is not what I expected from my very much excitement for pancake day and this is the situation I'm in so I'm laughing at it because from an outside perspective just seeing that scene is hilarious but it was a woeful for me because there was certainly that element of disappointment that I was eating my pancakes while sat on the back. It's so time consuming isn't it and and it takes up like so much focus in your day so yeah for sure. My question would be why are you doing it if it's yeah and and this is the thing like I'm not pushed for it but the opportunity seemed to be arising so I'm going with it and giving her the choice and she wants to stay on even though she's crying and we're trying to persevere with it because it seems like she wants to um but yeah then kind of ties in with um my wonderful is I had the chance to reflect on that that evening and the fact that I could laugh at that situation um when I think if I wasn't in a certain frame of mind that would have really dragged me down like that feeling of disappointment but being able to take that step back and observe um the ridiculousness (laughs) of the situation um I think I feel like that was quite a wonderful moment for me and then also kind of noticing that I am juggling a lot at the moment. I've got a lot of different things going on um, and and some of what we'll talk about today. Um, But again, kind of being able to reflect and I think there's a power in that reflection 
of I do have a lot going on and I'm still putting one foot in front of the other and I'm still moving forward I am juggling you know and um just being able to notice that the possibility of doing things while thinking maybe you can or while yeah just wearing that superhero cloak and owning it a little bit I think Mm, um, with the amount of juggling that's going on for sure um so yeah we'll go into the topic because there's much more that I can kind of share with what's going on at the moment when we talk about the topic today okay so on that note then I guess today's topic is we thought we would because Natalie's maybe got some stuff going on that I'm keen to hear about we're going to talk about fertility and fertility treatment and just see where that takes us. Um, I know my journey was pretty much, I can really remember it, it's been quite a difficult time in my life. And um, yeah, I don't even really know where to start with it. I just remember being consumed by it. That's a good word. <laughs> uh, consumed. Um, so yeah, I guess... I mean, I can talk more about my experience, but it doesn't feel as relevant because it's not going on anymore. And, you know, I'm keen to hear how things have been for you. So where are you at, Natalie, in terms of your fertility treatment? Yeah, so um, at the moment, we're on cycle four of hormone treatment to um, induce ovulation to try and um, get pregnant. Um, We've had three failed attempts of um, hormone treatment this time round but if I just take you and, and, and the listeners back a little bit um, I got told when I was about 22, 23 that I likely had polycystic ovaries and that if I ever wanted to have children it'd be unlikely that I'd be able to conceive naturally um, which was huge news to be told at a fairly young age um, and that they couldn't do anything more for me or offer any more help um, unless I was trying to have a baby. Um, and at that time, it wasn't really on my agenda. I, I wanted kids, but it wasn't. I wasn't really in the right relationship and um, just wasn't the right time, and it wasn't really a topic I could raise with um, the partner I was with at the time either. Um, so how did that news land with you when you're told at that age? Um kind of oh shit (laughs) this isn't good this is um like why can't things be simple there was a lot of kind of self-blame I think of why me um this isn't fair and of course it's got to be complicated kind of thing there was a lot of a lot of things I really struggled with I think at that time um and also feeling really alone in it because I couldn't speak to my partner about it and I don't I don't think I really spoke to all that many people um at that time because I felt like there was nothing that could be done unless I was trying to have a baby so um I've also had experience within my family of um family members trying to conceive for a very long time and it not going well and things like that so I think there was a lot of contextual things like things happening within my family and um that 
prevented me from kind of talking and being open about it when when I first kind of got that news Um, and also that feeling of defeat that there's nothing that can be done right now like I've got to be trying for a baby and I'm not in a position to tell anybody I'm trying for a baby Um, so then kind of push it all under the surface I guess so yeah and was kind of like I'll cross that bridge when I come to it um and it's not and, and not an acceptance but a knowledge of I know it's not going to be easy um so yeah and then um I met my lovely partner that I have now um and we met when we were 26 or we turned 26 the year that we met and um we'd been together just over a year I think and I kind of actually I was really open with him from the beginning it's something I'd kind of vowed to myself that I'd be open um with a person that I felt comfortable with and and saw a future with that I would be open with them from the beginning that that's something that would be a challenge um if it was something that they were interested in committing to and and knowing that that could be a path that's ahead of us um that could be something that's difficult and um he really wanted children which was different in this relationship to previous um and he really shocked me early days because he asked me how many children I wanted and I was kind of saying well I want to know if I can have one because there was a big if over it from what I'd been told and then he I was like why how many do you want and he was like four and my gut reaction was f off four like my gosh (laughs) that's a lot kind of thing so um yeah and then I kind of got to the point where I was getting a little bit older and I was a bit like if it's going to take a lot of years to be able to have a baby then we need to start sooner rather than later otherwise you get the complications of being a I hate the term, but a geriatric mom and all that. Kind I'm of one stuff. of those. <laughs> yeah, and the hormones and everything else. So, um, so yeah, I, I kind of raised the topic, and he was questioning, "Is it too soon?" and all this kind of stuff. But I was kind of like, "If it's going to take a while, let's start the conversation with doctors now. Like, let's get a referral and see what our options are." Um, so we got the referral. Then you have to go through all of those hideous investigations external and internal ultrasounds and blood samples and all manner of different things um before they kind of decide what course of treatment they're going to offer um we were quite lucky um the first time around our consultant explained things really well to us with regards to he made everything sound really simple which helped me because I'd overcomplicated it overthought it and everything but the consultant spoke like he it was something he did every day like it was something really simple you know like take these tablets do this and um away you go kind of thing so um so I got put on a course of um northesterone which um induces a bleed so it's a hormone to in induced bleed um I can do a cycle um because I I don't have natural cycles um so I had um that that hormone and then on day two till seven on the on your bleed um I had to take um Clomid or Clomiphene um I think is the full name for it and when we were going through it the first time I remember 
just crying my eyes out, not being able to sleep and just telling my partner that it's never going to happen. We're never going to have children. It's My body doesn't work and just a lot of really what were you fused with there was that the stuff I mean was that the stories from the past where you kind of you said about the context with your family yeah having difficulties and then you assuming that it would never happen yeah definitely I just I'd completely fused with that thought of this isn't ever going to happen I'm never going to be a mom like um and he reassured me and said like it will and everything will be okay and um it was a difficult year anyway I'd lost my grandma he lost his nan and then my granddad was poorly and then we lost my granddad and it was actually the day of my granddad's funeral is um I did a pregnancy test and it was positive and I've done many many pregnancy tests (laughs) in the past with not having regular periods um you do them frequently just to kind of check in um and it's the first one that ever came back positive and I just couldn't believe that um it had worked um so it worked first time and we got pregnant and I now have a nearly two-year-old you know and it wasn't an easy journey but that's for another podcast um so yeah and then it was kind of when um, my daughter turned one around about then that I kind of started the conversation um, with my partner again of I don't want to leave it too long in case it takes long again and also I don't want to be over my experience that I've had with um with the pregnancy and with the birth um like I'd rather not go into it rose tinted so I don't want to leave a long time between um us trying again um so we got referred to a different clinic this time my partner had to go through investigations this time which he didn't have to the first time um because we kind of knew that the issue lay with with me and and my reproductive system so and and how did he because it sounds like he's very much been on board with you very early on in your relationship which is amazing but how did he feel about then being having to go for investigations was that a shock to him yeah (laughs) he uh he really struggled with it um and and not because he thought that there'd be anything wrong but just in case there was um and I reassured him and said well we already know that the issue is with me and like it's worked before once I'd got the treatment so there'd be nothing to kind of worry about but I think it was more of a like an embarrassment thing you know that he had to provide a sample and things and um but he did it like up to the clinic with the hot bottle (laughs) yeah and and he's like he doesn't really talk about that kind of thing anyway and um yeah so it was it was a struggle I think but I I found that difficult that he was struggling with it I got quite defensive I think in I had a bit of a are you joking that there's one small part you have to play in this (laughs) and I have to do all of these other things and take all of these hormones and carry a baby and give birth to the baby and you know like I was kind of like there's a lot more that I have to do here um so so almost that's unfair is that yeah, kind of that yeah and that feminist in me you know was kind of hang on a second here you've got just do your bit <laughs> and then we'll get on with with the the 
the tough bit but i appreciate that you know he's he's allowed to feel how he feels about the part he had to do for it so and i'm curious natalie to ask you then so if your story in your mind was very fixed sort of pre-treatment and then you get pregnant with your little one and then you try again is the story still as loud in your mind or is it a different story you mean the story of it's not going to happen uh-huh because actually i guess it did happen didn't it and i just wonder this time around what what is that story now like what are the things what's your if you get fused on stuff what what is it yeah so i think (laughs) i think where i'm at now i think getting lucky and i do count it as as some element of luck granted there was science involved but i feel like that's why i'm feeling disappointed at the point i'm at at the moment is because it happened first time round um on like the first cycle of hormone treatment to get pregnant um with evelyn and now we've had three failed cycles with clomid um and it feels like it's not going to happen again so the story's coming up a little bit more now than and is it growing arms and legs this time? Um, trying not to let it mm-hmm. because it, I have got pregnant before. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's certainly a lot of things that are showing up now that's really difficult. Um, that is kind of taking me back to that place of this is never going to happen. I feel really defeated. Um and, and it's hard, isn't it, when it's like a, a, a kind of cycle monthly thing. This is what I remember about going through this, trying to get pregnant, when at the beginning of every cycle you have this huge hope and then it doesn't happen and yeah. and then you're back to square one again. Yeah, and the difficulty with it is, is that I don't have natural cycles. So I have to... I have to take um I have to take the norfesterone to begin for 10 days to induce a cycle and then I have to wait for the bleed to start and then I have to take the hormones and then I have to wait to day 21 of the cycle to have a blood test and then 3 days following that I find out if I've ovulated or not. So we actually counted it and each cycle is actually 50 days which is almost twice as long as a typical cycle. So when I say we're on our fourth cycle now, that's actually nearly 200 days of like my hormones being sent here, there and everywhere. And I guess that's 200 days of having the thought that I could be pregnant or I might be pregnant or... Yeah, the amount of money we've spent on pregnancy tests, like it's it's a lot. So... um. So we had three failed rounds on Clomid so far and um, I felt a real despair with the th- when the third one didn't work. Um, so there's been changes that I've made. So this is where I mentioned um, in our Woeful and Wonderful moments that I'm on quite a restrictive diet now and I'm on an exercise plan. I've got a personal trainer. Um, so I've cut sugar out of my diet and I've got minimal carbs in my diet. Um, so is that advice that's been given to you or have you taken that on but was that something you've, you want to try yourself? Uh, 
I've had I've had bugbears with doctors in the past um, where they've said like, oh, maybe dropping a couple of pounds could be helpful. And when a very overweight doctor tells you that is quite like frustrating when I'm not massively overweight, you know, I, I enjoy chocolate and a few takeaways here and there, but I'm not obese in any way. Um, so that I always found that really frustrating. But what I know from reading about polycystic ovaries and the first line of treatment for them is a drug called metformin, which is actually a drug that's given to individuals with diabetes um, because the cysts on the ovaries are actually created by your blood sugar levels. So the sugar that's in your blood. Um, so, and what, what I know from the research is that. And then also um, I did a um, diet and exercise plan um a, a few years ago and that was the last time that I had natural periods so the 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 last time was April 2018 was the last time I had a natural cycle and um I had a natural cycle for three months on a row in a row and um then it was my birthday and it was Easter and I started eating chocolate and they went away completely so is there a bit of a, a narrative in your mind then or an association that sugar or chocolate or, not, well, I don't want to say an unhealthy, a different diet might not help? Yeah. So you're trying. Well, it seems like that because of the evidence of, well, yeah, I did have natural cycles when I was exercising a bit more and I was eating healthily and I'd lost... Um, a stone or so like that did cause a natural like natural cycles again so I was kind of like okay well that is one thing that I could try like that is something that's within my control and my choice to put chocolate in my mouth or not um so that's that's one step of talk and the other thing that was really difficult for me and we might have talked about on another podcast perhaps um or it can be a topic we come back to but I I gave up breastfeeding Mm-hmm. So I stopped breastfeeding um, on the 1st of January this year because um, I had to, I, well, I, didn't, I felt like I had to take that leap um, with um, my daughter um, and the clinic wasn't a massive fan of me taking Clomid whilst I was breastfeeding, um, but there's no evidence to say that there's any damage that would be caused by that however the alternative so the different hormone which i'm now on um it's called le- 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 tetron or something i don't know i'm terrible with medical names but it begins with an l and it's the alternative to clomid and um you can't take that whilst you're breastfeeding it can it goes through your breast milk and it can impact your baby's um hormones and things so was like that, that choice was that choice um did you make that to go on to the, did you decide to stop breastfeeding to get on to the new medication? Then? I felt like I needed to take that leap to to have the opportunity to try something different. Um, so I really didn't want to stop breastfeeding. I was very comfortable with, with continuing and um, felt like my daughter was still getting a lot from it. And I was as well um, with that bond and relationship. So it was a difficult leap for me to take. Um, but I also don't want to be on this road for a very long time I'm so sick of the impact that the hormones have on me and I felt that to try and give us the best fighting chance um for us to have another baby that I need to take all the steps that I can take 
Um, so reducing, well, stopping the breastfeeding um, because the clinic argued that the hormones that are produced with breastfeeding can stop ovulation, but evidence shows that's only within 12 months and I was way over that and, you know, I kind of argued that point and, um, but, you know, that could be part of the play. It also stopped me from trying a different hormone and yeah, so stop breastfeeding, um, cut sugar out of my diet, doing more exercise just to try and give us and, and trying a different hormone. So like just trying to do everything that we can to give us a fighting chance. So we will see in the next couple of weeks what kind of comes on from this cycle. Um, we've got told that we could have six cycles of hormone treatment. So we're on cycle four. Um, and then not through the clinic, but th- actually through like a community support group, I found out that you can have injections to induce ovulation and that they can actually be more effective. Um, and there's actually injections of Clomid um, that we could have, which would have meant I didn't need to stop breastfeeding. And when I spoke to the clinic about it, it's not available on the NHS. So it's something that we'd have to pay privately for. Um, and because of the frustration I'm feeling at the moment with us not being successful so far, um, then I'm kind of considering whether that, that investment is kind of our next steps. Um, I suppose I'm I'm noticing that you're kind of future thinking there, aren't you? And kind of already planning and preparing and assuming that you yeah. will need to do that. And and I get that it's probably really, really hard not to, but if you were to apply, I guess, the pillars of acceptance and commitment therapy, the open aware, engaged to your current situation, the situation at the context that is now, like how does that, what, what is it you're doing? Yeah, I keep trying to sell myself, like tell myself that, and it can be okay, and it could be okay, and this could be the time. Um, and I'm trying to accept that my mind's trying to protect me in telling me like, don't get your hopes up, and this kind of thing and and I think don't get your hopes up is more helpful than some of the thoughts of just admit defeat like it's never going to happen and Mm -hmm. those kind of less helpful thoughts that are coming up so just trying to notice all of the thoughts that are coming up um, and not putting more weight on certain ones than than others so not putting more weight on there's no point just give up um rather than and it can be and it could be okay you know like they can hold the same weight like that level of uncertainty is is there you know like we can't predict the future so it's kind of sitting with that uncertainty and just doing what I can um and and I think the other kind of interesting thing I've noticed is the impact on um like our relationship um and is that positive or negative it's positive in that we are continuing to be open and talking about it but I find it really odd and I'm going to be really open here but the relationship or the kind of thoughts that I have about sex now like I feel like because 
it's almost like mechanical like we're mm-hmm. doing it for a purpose and it feels like we have to not we have to do it we can't leave two days between having sex and things like that and it's so kind of like booked in and it's like yeah so that that's something that feels really odd that could almost be a podcast thing on itself actually just maybe the stages of all of that in a relationship yeah yeah so that that's really odd and that's kind of something that I've reflected on and that something that again we've been able to speak openly about which has been helpful I think um because it's made me feel not alone in that like he shares some of those kind of feelings as well um and also that like as women in that like we carry so much of um and especially women that have fertility issues and I don't know if you kind of experience the same but kind of that feeling of carrying so much of the guilt that it isn't happening and we're still going through this process and and the responsibility as yeah, well that's you know, probably for, another word for it yeah like that responsibility uh, having getting your body to work effectively you know I can just remember being totally consumed by checking my temperature and checking ovulation and it just consumed every part of my life so when you're speaking I've got a lot of empathy for what you're saying yeah and this time round um I've I've told him not to buy any pregnancy tests yet because previously I was doing like the cheap pregnancy tests like nearly every day and it wasn't helpful for me because every time you read the results on that pregnancy test it's another kind of disappointment knock yeah yeah exactly so I'm trying to hold back from it this this cycle round and um, I almost felt it was like a grieving thing because I used to feel like you would kind of in your head create this dream of this month that could be the month and then you'd imagine again and then every month that didn't happen it was like grieving the loss of that idea that dream of having that you know you'd kind of calculate when if you got pregnant now will you have the baby on this day exactly where I'm at um, because I've said this this month this cycle is our last chance to have a baby this year like I've already kind of mapped out the the time frame and It'd under be pressure yeah I want to just play the queen song under pressure <laughs> yeah yeah so I certainly noticed some of those things that were hooking me and, and perhaps some of the away moves in the last three cycles that we've been through um that I'm trying to step away from this time and um trying to remain engaged with what I'm doing at the time and um, whether that's work or with my partner or with um, my daughter and things it's um, it's there and it is there because you know I'm trying to be really aware of the impact that the hormones like that I'm taking are having on me and my body and my thoughts as well like I've really noticed different side effects with each cycle um so being really aware of of that and how that's impacted my mood as well I think is um because we're not as in control of our physiological and the impact that the hormones actually have on on that um it's a real I suppose it is a time in your life when there is a really strong connection with your body Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and I guess the emotions as well you know really because they're there and you can't turn away from it, you know, so that openness is about 
I suppose trying to acknowledge some of the hurt and or I'm saying hurt that's maybe because that's an emotion I might have felt or the grief or the loss or the fear or the you know all the optimism that the real range of emotions that you go through yeah for sure um so that's kind of where we're up to so watch this space (laughs) i'm sure there'll be more that um kind of comes up and possibly more woeful and hopefully um that optimism's there and for a wonderful moment as well that i'll be able to share um but yeah so how so you you kind of alluded to you had a a fertility journey yourself um what what kind of steps did you go through when when you were on your journey well for me it was um with my ex-partner with um the girl's dad we decided to try and get pregnant and it just didn't happen it just didn't happen um we tried for years on reflection I'm not sure whether we tried hard enough and I have all these funny thoughts I think when I was in a relationship with him, I was very much aware that my biological clock was ticking away and I'm I'm not sure there was too much else. So when you're talking about that kind of mechanical aspect of mm-hmm. sex, then I was, that's where I was with that. Yeah. And, and and it just became, I became consumed. It was almost like I'd, I'd become, my body was taken over by this desire to get pregnant and it just wasn't happening and it wasn't happening and every month I was more and more disappointed um, and after three years got referred to the fertility clinic and went through you know all the usual procedures and, and they're all very invasive and it's yeah, quite um, it's really difficult you know and, and, I, and I know what you're saying about you know when he got asked to do um, some of the screening tests I remember him being like oh surely it can't be me and you you kind of just think oh my god this is this is all just a bit full on and and no matter how hard I try just to have a normal life I would remember really worrying about what I was eating drinking if I was getting enough sleep it was it was the only word I can use to describe it as completely consuming Mm -hmm. and then um I mean I I'd all of my life I'd suffered from really painful and difficult periods and I always thought that there was something wrong and I had this real belief system in my head oh well I was never going to get pregnant anyway and you wonder how much that plays out in in some of some of this you know I can't help looking back on that and wondering if that had an impact as well but we got to the point where um they discovered that my um cervix was really too it was very closed off okay so that that would cause problems so I went in for a a minor op for that and then after that I got pregnant but I miscarried it about 15 weeks okay um and that was utterly devastating that completely wiped me off my feet for quite a long time um then I recovered from that and then we, I think, because that was maybe us at about five years of trying then, mm-hmm. and got put on the waiting list then for IVF. Okay. Um, and then I fell pregnant when I was on the waiting list. But okay. they keep you on. They keep you on that waiting list until you have a. I don't know how they refer to it. Like a, a pre- like a live. A successful, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. um, kind of words that they use, isn't it? Like successful 
Yeah. yeah. So so that that was my, I mean, I just kind of wrapped it up in a nutshell, but just hearing you speaking about your experience, I'm just reminded of, you know, I just keep saying the word consuming. Mm-hmm. I could literally think of nothing else Yeah. for all those years of my life. So I can relate to... And it's such you know, a long process, isn't it? Like, and, and when I consider kind of what... Um, my family member's been through like it took six years for her to even get diagnosed with endometriosis um oh, just just a horrific journey that that she's been on um and, and really it's so, so different for everybody one of the things yeah. that i that, that really used to i think i really struggled with so at the time i was working as a specialist um drug um substance misuse um psychiatric nurse okay don't like that term cpn i was a cpn for drug users in this area of edinburgh that was very very deprived Mm -hmm. and i set up a whole service for pregnant drug users gosh and i was watching all these people i mean you know injecting copious amounts of heroin and taking really risky behaviors really not looking after themselves and there I was not drinking coffee which I love not drinking wine which I quite enjoy and I wasn't getting pregnant and these women were through you know I mean you know horrific lives I I couldn't compare myself to them but I really really struggled with that that was really difficult the point I actually went off work for a good couple of months because I just couldn't couldn't deal with it. It's struggling um, with that kind of unfairness, isn't it? Uh-huh. That that true sense of kind of feeling like this isn't fair and uh-huh. I'm doing why, everything why that I can. Why me? Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Hearing you talk about that kind of has kind of brought a few of those memories back, but. And again, if I had the skills I didn't, I do now in terms of acceptance and commitment therapy, I think. I might have managed things a little bit differently. Yeah. And I don't know what advice I would give to myself then. Um, I maybe should have said, look at your relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I wouldn't have the kids that I have now. Um, yeah. I don't know, it's difficult. But yeah, so that that's my kind of journey with fertility treatment. I just remember the invasiveness of it and how it consumed me and... Um, yeah, and difficult, for you, difficult. And for thing. your second daughter, did you go through fertility treatment again, or no? Were so you with lucky? my second, so um, got pregnant. There's only seventeen months between them. Okay. So it happened. I didn't expect it to happen, and it did, which is why I wonder about the kind of mind body connection. Yeah, you kind of relaxed into it. That you know, I wasn't even thinking about it. Well, I was. I wanted to. I knew I wanted to have. But because the birth was so traumatic with the first, I thought, oh, no way, I want to do that again for some time. Um, I don't know. I I, I can't really explain that. I mean, I don't know if anyone ever can. I'm maybe looking for answers that I'm never going to get. But, um, yeah, I fell pregnant quite quickly with my second child. It's got quite a nice age gap between the two there. Yeah, it's nice now. (laughs) But it was challenging when they were little. It was challenging at the time. But in a way, it was also quite nice because, you know, I wasn't kind of out of, the oldest one wasn't out of nappies and I was still, so I never got used to that time without that. I just kind of, yeah. one to the other and it was just a bit of a blur. But. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to do a toddler talk one, <laughs> one yes. time. The way we kind of close this, this podcast off each time is considering 
how we have been open, aware and engaged or how we could possibly kind of bring in openness, awareness and engagement into the topic and our experience of that and things. So kind of what you were doing then, kind of reflecting back on um, on your experience or how you feel about it now, um, can you kind of explore open, aware and engaged with your experience? Yeah, if I was to have had those skills playing out more then, I think I would have given myself a bit of space. I think my drive to get pregnant was so huge that I lacked Mm self-compassion. So I think I would maybe be checking in with myself a bit more um, just to notice how I'm feeling. I think I was just, it was almost like, you know, in fight or flight, you kind of fixate on the target mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and everything else round about gets blurred out. That's If I could be more open, I'd be more open to my whole experience of it mm-hmm. and I maybe would have looked after myself a bit better. Yeah. Not giving myself a hard time, maybe touch base with some of the thinking, maybe be, the awareness part would have been aware of what I was doing to myself because of the thoughts that I was having. Yeah. And the engaged part, I wasn't doing at all. I was just focused on this yeah. need that I had, very strong need. Um, so I wasn't doing the things I enjoyed. And I look back at that time and I just think you were really unhappy then because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you weren't doing the things that you enjoyed, like seeing your friends having fun, eating prawns and blue cheese you know all these things that I, <laughs> yeah. I was not eating yeah just I was really restrictive in my life I think I'd, yeah I would change that around yeah so it's interesting hearing you're doing similar things <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's certainly an element to it and I think um and, and of course I, I've I know of some of these skills and um and try as I might you know I can um certainly being open with like I mentioned before that there's all of these different thoughts that that are coming along and um open to allowing all of them and that they won't last like a different thought will come up and things like that and um and being aware of of some of like you mentioned there like some of the self-compassion stuff so um, and that self-compassion can be shown in a kindness way, you know, like we can be kind to ourselves and um, give ourselves time and space, but also um, in a fierce, compassionate way of um, opening up and talking and telling people you're not happy about certain things or um, and like setting those boundaries in there saying no because you need to rest or something like that like those things I have to be reminding myself of but I try and remain kind of aware to that um and then the engaged is like I think I kind of touched on it before like wanting to make sure I'm giving my attention to what is in front of me um as well as being kind of aware and, and open that thoughts kind of pop up but um, that each thing that I'm doing in my day or throughout my day um, is of some importance and, and is of value to me and almost really 
battling that consumption that you've mentioned you know I'm really battling that that isn't the only role that I'm playing at the moment that isn't the only plate that I'm spinning or ball that I'm juggling you know that I do have other roles and that you might actually have to sit on the dog basket and (laughs) eat your pancake (laughs) whilst toilet training (laughs) yeah yeah so it's kind of overcoming and and having the opportunity to laugh at ridiculousness of situations that are coming up um and not completely allowing it to bog me down as well um so yeah so I think I I I hope that what we're talking about is helpful to some people and thank you so much Natalie for being so open about what you're going through right now I think it's so important because I've never had the opportunity to speak to with someone who's been open with me about their experience and um, and that kind of thing so I really hope that other people feel less alone in it I think like you said it's all consuming you you can shut yourselves off from your from your family from your friends and it's quite a lonely space to be in and hopefully what my intention is with kind of sharing our story and and hearing about yours as well Helen and um, and we've spoke before and, and we knew that we've had similar journeys and that I found that really really helpful really powerful to not feel so alone and to know that other people are having similar and different experiences um, around fertility as well yes so thanks for sharing and thank you I guess I'm thinking just now I'll need to the dog might bark in a second so maybe that should be our cue to finish yeah, up definitely thank you so much helen um, thank you natalie and we'll look forward to the next well, www <laughs> fabulous i'll speak to you soon you take care thanks then bye, bye.